whereas philosophy is certainly not self-expression. And philosophy, of course, is argument. Uh, and you can say, well, is the conclusion true or is the argument valid? Welcome to Five Questions, where we don't ask if the conclusion's true or the argument valid, but what they say about you. I'm your host, Kieran Setia. In each episode, I ask a philosopher five questions about themselves. There are two ground rules. One is that follow-up questions are allowed. The other is that the question I'm about to ask doesn't count as one of the five. So could you introduce yourself, tell us a bit about who you are and what kind of philosophical work you do? Yeah, I'm Jennifer Hornsby, and people I know and who know me all call me Jen. I teach philosophy at Birkbeck College, where I've been for, I think, 25 years. I'm now, I suppose, semi-retired. The administrators would tell you that I'm 0.2, so that I don't have a full teaching load, and most of my teaching is of um, research students. And before I came to Birkbeck, I was at Oxford for many, many years. As for the philosophical work I do, I started in philosophy of mind and action, and especially philosophy of action, which I think is actually part of the philosophy of mind, though some don't. And the other areas I've worked in are philosophy of logic and language in various aspects, including the use of language in political contexts and the like. So uh, a range of areas. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. As you know, my my inspiration is Iris Murdoch, and you hear her at the beginning of the episode telling us that philosophy is not self-expression. But she also wrote, to do philosophy is to explore one's temperament, and yet at the same time to attempt to discover the truth. So would you say your temperament influences your philosophical work? And if so, how? I'm apt to think my temperament doesn't influence my philosophical work. And I'm, I'm Suppose I'm inclined to disagree with Murdoch insofar as she says to do philosophy is to explore one's temperament. But she may be getting at something which I think I'd agree with and which Socrates would have agreed with. So in in response to the Delphic oracle, know thyself, Socrates said, I think, roughly, yes, indeed. So long as I can't know myself, it's ridiculous to look into any other matters. So I think the idea is that if one wants to know what to think, the only way to learn what to think is to ask oneself, what should I think? So any question posed to anyone is for them a question about them themselves in a certain sense. But I'm not sure then how temperament comes into it. I guess that there's a question what's meant by temperament here. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are features of my temperament which influence my style, how I present thoughts, whether in speech or in writing. But I don't think of my personality, if that's what's meant by temperament, as determinative of what I think, insofar as the questions are philosophical and what I'm doing is doing philosophy. So I think there's something I probably disagree with Murdoch about, though maybe I can warm to an aspect of what she, she was saying. Before we get to the thing that you maybe disagree with her about, and I'm I'm also, without being sure exactly what she had in mind, inclined to think that she she was saying something that pushes back against a kind of detachment or objectivity in philosophy that 
you seem more sympathetic to. But before I ask you about that, you said that your temperament influences or might influence your style of doing philosophy. Could you describe your own style of doing philosophy? Gosh, I, I'm not sure I could. But on on objectivity, I mean, by, by bringing Socrates in, I was meaning to suggest that, if you like, subjectivity has a place. I mean, one puts questions to oneself. To whom else could one put a question? And where objectivity is concerned, I think of Murdoch as, in moral philosophy, a sort of objectivist. So I don't think I was arguing against her on the grounds that we need some objectivism in there. Well, it's funny because on the one hand, yes, there is a kind of objectivism in Murdoch's moral philosophy, but there are also these passages, at least in Sovereignty of Good, where she associates individual moral progress with increasing idiosyncrasy and privacy. And those passages maybe do suggest, I don't know if it's subjectivity or something that pushes back against convergence in people's moral reflection. And so one way to take the quote from Murdoch about temperament is precisely to think that people's individual characters, temperaments, push their philosophical thinking in certain directions in ways that she is apparently not hostile to or not worried about, which does suggest, I know, again, I'm not sure subjectivity is the right word, but something more personal than just the idea that self-knowledge and reflection on what I think is inseparable from reflection on what to think. And maybe that's the aspect, the idea of, of individual personality influencing one's philosophical views that you're resistant to? Yes, I guess. But but of course, if one means one's views in moral philosophy, then I can see how what you've just said about Murdoch makes perfect sense. And I mean, the only work of Murdoch I know, which I confess I haven't read for a very long time, and you're obviously familiar with it, is in moral philosophy. And I, I should say, I'm, I'm not meaning to object to that work, The Sovereignty of Good. I mean, she engages there in a kind of philosophical thinking, which I think it's good for students to go in for. And indeed, when I taught ethics a very, very long time ago, I would have students read it. And the position there that Murdoch's recommending, I sort of warm to, though I think I'm probably um, less of a Platonist than uh, Murdoch. I mean, I prefer the view in a sort of Aristotelian version. So I'm not meaning to object to any specific line of thought in Murdoch. I just don't think that my doing philosophy is a matter of my exploring my temperament. Well, I'm going to segue from that into the second question, which is about also about your attitude to or your relationship to your philosophical views. So the question is, do you really believe your philosophical views? Or would you describe your your attitude to them differently than that? Well, if you'd asked me five years ago or earlier than that, I'd have said, of course. <laughs> and I think insofar as I represent myself as holding a view in philosophy, I do believe it. And this is despite the fact that in the course of my career, and specifically in the philosophy of action, I've changed my mind many times, as it were. So I got in print this, that, and the other, which certainly I believed when I put it in print, and then something else, and I, I believed it. And I, I'm certain that my attitude towards what I said was belief, nothing else. I recently found myself puzzled about certain questions in philosophy, which I've thought about for a long time. 
And I'm apt to say that I sort of lack philosophical views, but that's a way of lacking belief in a certain area, even though it's an area in which I'm interested in knowing what the truth might be. So yeah, insofar as I have a philosophical view, I really believe it. Can you give an example of one of the areas that you've been thinking about recently in which you haven't been able to yet form a view? Well, um, it connects with something in the philosophy of action, but it's actually much more general. And it relates to the passage of time. So mm-hmm. um, one one thing that a philosopher of action needs to appreciate is that it can take some time to do something and time is passing as one's doing it, et cetera, et cetera. And so I've been actually thinking about time and I find I don't know what to think because there are views about time with names, um, you know, eternalism, growing block, presentism. And I I don't think I can endorse any of them. So I'm apt to say that time is something of which one can't give an account. But is that a philosophical view? I, I'm not sure. Well, that's that's the St. Augustine position, isn't that right? That he says, you know, he, he knows what time is until he begins to ask what it is. And then the concept becomes sort of imponderable. Yeah, yeah. I might even want to say there's no such thing as the concept of time. Though of course, I know what philosophers are talking about when the subject matter is time. Well, we're going to take a step uh, away from big picture questions about the nature of philosophy and your relationship to it towards a particular time in your life as a philosopher. So question three is, what's your worst moment as a philosopher? Well, I was thinking about this. I I think I'm sure I've had terrible moments as a philosopher, but I imagine that I blotted out the worst ones. So (laughs) I can only measure the badness of a philosophical moment by the quantity of sleeplessness it leads to. So one recalls it, and it's bad. One feels embarrassed or ashamed. And I've I've actually had this experience recently. And the bad moment was that I interrupted someone when I shouldn't have. (laughs) And the first occasion, which I've recently recalled because of a more recent occasion, was one in which the setting was a drinks party and no one was talking about anything except philosophy, so the conversation was philosophical. And I was in the company of someone who was then a graduate student and a much more senior philosopher whom I greatly admired. And the student started to say something and I interrupted and I think what makes it worse is that although I was, I think, right to think that I knew what he was going to say, I think that the response which I made interrupting him probably wasn't right. So I, I felt really bad about having done that. I mean, I think one shouldn't interrupt people, at least not in philosophical conversation. And then, as I say, I, I um, recalled this recently, and it was now in a seminar, and I interrupted a student, and I immediately felt terrible, actually. It was a different sort of experience, but it reminded me of the early occasion. These were uh, retrospectively bad moments. That's really interesting that your worst moment was one in which that you were a philosopher was relevant to the context, but not relevant to... It wasn't your identity as a philosopher that was particularly threatened. It was just an occasion of doing something rude to someone that you wish you hadn't done. Well, I think it's a special sort of rudeness. I mean, I think there's a way philosophy should proceed, as it were. (laughs) And one of the rules is you don't interrupt people unless they invite you to or whatever. So yeah, I don't think I would ordinarily mind 
interrupting someone in just some regular social conversation. I suppose it's it's because I think that philosophy is an important sense cooperative, that it's good that philosophers talk to one another and there's no point in it unless they listen to one another. So I do think it it was a it was a bad moment as a philosopher. This is making me wonder about your philosophical education and background. And I'm not sure if I know exactly where you went to graduate school. I, I'm, I sort of have this a priori guess that you were Oxbridge educated at a time when, at least by reputation, Oxford-Cambridge philosophy was actually pretty ruthless in its norms for discussion and interaction. I, I, I did my BA in Oxford. And of course, okay. I didn't encounter discussion groups because in, in if one's doing a BA, either one's having a tutorial with a teacher or one's in a lecture. So as it were, <laughs> philosophical discourse, ex- except of a friendly sort, because one's written an essay for one's tutor and she tells you what she thinks about it. But the reputation that I think Oxford had in those days for being a fierce bear pit, as it were, I, I never encountered that. And then I... I did a master's degree at UCL. And in those days, this is a long time ago, it was possible to get a research fellowship in order to do a PhD. So I did my PhD at Cambridge. But because I discovered what I wanted to write about, it took me a very short time. So I was actually, I think I was only in Cambridge for a year when I got my doctorate. And then I went back to Oxford to teach. I see. And with Cambridge, what you also didn't experience the kind of famed aggression in Cambridge when you were there? Did it not? It didn't seem like that. It didn't seem like that at all. I mean, I, I think the reputation Oxford had, it, the B-Phil, which continues, was then the what you did after your BA and was highly regarded degree. And I'm sure very, very good people did it. But I think it was B-Phil seminars at which um, all the students, each of the students tried to show he, as ordinarily it was he, was cleverer than any of the others. And the way to do this was to win the argument or something like that. But I, I don't think I ever experienced that. Who was your teacher at Cambridge? Did you have a... a... Bernard Williams was my supervisor. Yeah. And it's interesting because he is someone who's who has a reputation for being capable of being quite cutting and intimidating. Yeah. No, I didn't find him intimidating. I mean, I, I always sent him a piece of work and he criticised it constructively when I arrived. I never had that impression of him, though I, I, I think he didn't suffer fools gladly. So, but I, I think he didn't uh, treat me as a fool, as it were. He treated me as someone who, who needed comments on my work. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to get you to say, say negative things about your education in philosophy, which actually seems sounds like it was really along these dimensions about as, as reasonable as uh, one could hope and ask you instead about something other than philosophy. In particular, if you weren't a philosopher, do you have an idea of what you would do or might do instead? Yeah, I mean, it's too far through my life to have a conception of an alternative career, actually. Though I, I, I do know what I'd like to be doing, especially now that we're all kept at home because of the virus. But I find that I'm not doing that. But there's a different question which I think I can give a more definite answer to, which is if you hadn't been a philosopher, what would you have done? Um, yeah. And I know when I, I completed my BA in philosophy and psychology, as it then was, I really wanted to do a doctorate in psychology. And I, don't, I, I, I know I had a place at Oxford and I could have done that. And then I decided I wanted to do philosophy after all and I 
went to London to do the MPhil there. And I'm actually quite glad that I (laughs) never did psychology any further than my undergraduate degree. But when I went to UCL to be a research student, I enrolled in a correspondence course in law Uh because I suddenly thought what I really wanted to do was the law. And you could do this correspondence course. It didn't cost very much. And you posted things, I guess, in those days. And I was serious about it when I enrolled. But very soon, I discovered that when I wasn't doing philosophy, when I I wanted to have fun, as it were, I wasn't going to do any more studying. So I gave up. But I think I would quite have liked to have done law. At the beginning of your answer, you mentioned that you had an idea of what you might like to be doing now under lockdown conditions. Something which I've had an ambition to do for, for a good while, I suppose, is to write a play. I mean, I, I, lots of people <laughs> I know would like to write a novel. Definitely it would not be a novel that I would write if I wrote some fiction. And when I knew that we were all going to have to stay at home, I thought maybe this is an opportunity. But I've, I've not been inspired in a way that when I first had this idea, which maybe is 20 years ago, that I would write a play, when I actually had some sense of a plot, so I haven't done anything about it. But I think, I suppose, if there's an answer to what I would be doing if I weren't doing philosophy and it was something creative, as it were, it would be writing a play. Would it have been a philosophical play or, or unrelated to philosophy? It... <laughs> It wouldn't have been philosophical, but it wouldn't have been unrelated to philosophy. I mean, maybe there'd have been a philosopher in it, but not spouting philosophy all the time. That reminds me, there is a wonderful Murdoch quote that I've actually quoted before in in print, in which she's asked by Brian McGee in an interview whether she writes philosophical novels. And she says, no, she writes novels in which there are philosophers because she knows philosophers. If she knew about sailing ships, she'd write about sailing ships. Mm-hmm. So I guess you 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 know about philosophers, so they're mm-hmm. they're available to be characters in your the would be play. I guess that's right. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time, so I'm gonna have to move on to our final question, question five, which is another Murdoch inspired question. Begins with a, a quote. Mm-hmm. It's always a significant question to ask about any philosopher, she wrote. What is she afraid of? So what are you afraid of? I I wonder why that should be a Especially significant question to ask of a philosopher. Again, I'm, I'm sort of quarrelling with something in the background in Murdoch here. Is it that there are going to be aspects of the world that one finds terrifying if one's a philosopher? And then <laughs> question, which are they? There is a novel of Murdoch's that I remember, which is The Black Prince. And as I recall, there's a character in The Black Prince who has set himself to write a novel. And he's someone who says, you've got the key to an artist's mind when you know what he fears, something like that. And it occurred to me that that seems a question one might want to ask, what what are you afraid of? Of a creative artist specifically. As it were, what's what's behind the works? (laughs) And I actually don't think of philosophy as an art in that sense, as it were, that um, I don't think philosophers are creating works of art, even if they write very good books. So that makes me wonder what the question's getting at, what's meant to ensure that one's specifically fearful if one's a philosopher. 
Well, I'm not sure either. And part of the reason for asking the question was as a as an experiment to see whether philosophers who were asked this immediately said, "Oh, yes, of course, that is a significant question to ask about me, and here's why." Or said, as you did, as you have yeah, done, yeah, uh, yeah. What an odd question to ask about a philosopher specifically. What's the? Well, it's not that I'm not afraid. <laughs> I mean. It... Insofar as I have fears, it's it's if you like for the future of humanity and for the future of the United Kingdom, Great Britain, and so on. So I I, I am actually fearful of a future probably more distant than one I live in. But I think insofar as I, I suffer from fear, it's in relation to those things, and I think that would be true of me, even if I weren't a philosopher. I mean, here's a one way to hear where Modoc is coming from, both with this question about fear and with the question about temperament, is that they are informed by a kind of hermeneutics of suspicion or a sense that philosophy masquerades as a truth-seeking activity, as a rational activity, in a way that obfuscates or mystifies the non-rational influences on what kinds of philosophical views people are drawn to. Ah, okay, right. But if if that's right, then it's not likely that uh, they'll all be able to answer the question, as it were. I mean, will they be aware if if they suffer from this? Will they be aware of what they're fearful of? Well, perhaps not. I mean, it is notable that I've I've cheated slightly in that what Murdoch says is it's a significant question to ask about a philosopher. What is be afraid of in I the see. third person, and what I'm doing is asking philosophers, "What are you afraid of?" In the second person, okay. and you 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 may well be right that if the thought behind this is a kind of hermeneutics of suspicion about the subterranean motives by which philosophers are moved, yeah. asking yeah. them what are the subterranean motives you're unaware of by which you're moved may not be the most productive way to uproot them if indeed they're there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the context in which she said this as it were, whether it might be a good idea to ask any philosopher if we wanted to learn more about that person, what are you afraid of? Or whether she's <laughs> precisely suggesting that it's a significant question to ask about someone, but not necessarily the right question to ask that person herself. I'm not sure either. It comes in a passage, I think, in, in The Sovereignty of Good, in which she's expressing some doubt about her own position, about whether in defending a certain kind of moral objectivity and unity of the good, What's really happening is that she's engaging in wishful thinking or avoidance rather than following uh -huh. the argument where it leads. So uh, uh -huh. it, it comes as a kind of uncertainty about her own motivations, I think, in, in, in context. Well, I'm going to thank you one more time, Jen, for appearing on the podcast. It's been really great to talk to you. Well, thank you, Kieran. And I'm sorry if um, uh, the <laughs> questions which are meant to relate to facts about myself as myself, I've, I've hardly been competent to answer. Part of my, as I said, part of my curiosity was whether people would push back against these questions and how much. I, I'm afraid that the sample of people who've agreed to appear on the podcast is not entirely random. But nevertheless, it's good that some of them, like you, are resistant to Murdoch's framing so that we get a chance to uh, interrogate it a little bit. Good, good. That was Jennifer Hornsby. She's professor of philosophy at Birkbeck College London and the author of Actions and Simple-Mindedness, In Defense of Naive Naturalism in the Philosophy of Mind. Thanks for listening to Five Questions. Five Questions.